Okay, so the title of the message today is When Life Seems Too Big. Uh, I remember reading a book. Um, the, uh, the author, I believe, was Stephen Arterburn, and I believe the title of the book was The Secrets Men Keep. Good title. I remember one thing from that book. One thing. But it stuck with me good. And this was that they, he's quoted a study where they asked a really large number of men and they, they quizzed them all, they gave them, the, the, whatever the term is, to interview. I'm thinking in Spanish right now, so it's not coming out right. Um, they, they interviewed a large group of men and one of the questions they asked was, do you frequently feel insufficient to accomplish your job? Like, do you frequently feel small compared, you know, insufficient, unable? Like, and to my surprise, it was the vast majority, something like 85% of people said, yeah, that's, that's me on a regular. Now, we're not gonna ask for a raise of hands. Most of us have had a moment or two or a, there's an arena in our life where sometimes we look at it and we say, whoa, I am, I am not up to this. It's not uncommon. That was what was interesting. That's the one thing that stuck with me from, from reading that book 15 years ago was that many people look at life and feel insufficient to the task. Now, it might be finances. You may say, man, I have got, you know, I mean, I've got to make all of this money just to pay all the bills, but then I've got kids and I've got college and I've got, you know, or it, it might be, you know, parenting. You're like, I, I thought they were supposed to turn out because they were my kid, but now, you know, sometimes we, we look at it, and I, I wrote it down here. This says that we feel like an ant staring down a locomotive. We're just like, whoa, this is so much bigger than I expected. So I'm gonna talk about four common reactions when life seems too big. We're gonna give some biblical examples. We're gonna talk about... Um, those four, why not to do those? And then we're gonna talk about the biblical right response. So the first response, and the example I'm going to give is in Numbers 13, uh, 31 through 33. We have the Israelites. Now it's interesting because they've already been up against some big stuff already. And they saw God come through. They, they crossed the Red Sea miraculously. They did all of that. Now they've finally arrived at the promised land. They sent 12 spies in to check out where they're headed. And the 12 spies came back. And it says this in verse 31. It says, but the men who had gone up said, we're not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from those giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. It is so intriguing to me that they had so much wisdom and stupidity simultaneously because they're wrong. They could. God had promised them that. But you know what? The part that I say was wise is they said, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight 
so we were in their sight. How many of us bother to describe things that accurately? Usually we say, oh, everybody's thinking this about me. Are they? Are they really? We actually have a glimpse into what the people were actually thinking because of Rahab. And that was 40 years later. But she tells us that they were terrified. They had heard what God had done to the Egyptian army, what God had done in the Red Sea. They were terrified. But these guys, they saw themselves as tiny, insufficient, unequal to the task. And so they said, and they therefore see us the same. The first approach, I'll summarize it <clears throat> with this. If at first you don't succeed, quit. <laughs> quit. I brought this towel along as just kind of a visual. The first approach is when the going gets tough, throw in the towel. Just quit. And you know, and some people, sometimes we try to spiritualize it. We're like, well, God must have closed the door. I mean, I'm having opposition, so I'm sure this isn't right. If God was in it, then it would be easy. No. Let's look here. Acts 14, 19. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to de be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, this is my favorite part, and went back into the city. He had opposition, but he didn't assume that meant he was doing things wrong. A lot of times, people enter into life with that idea. It, it, if I'm doing it right, it's going to be easy. And if it gets hard, I'm doing it wrong. Or I'm in the wrong place. Or I'm with the wrong person. Oh, how many marriages have failed that didn't need to? Because someone had this Hollywood idea that if I am married to the right person, then it won't ever get difficult. No, that's not the case. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 16 says, but the wicked shall fall by calamity, or excuse me, for the righteous may fall seven times and rise again, but the righteous, the wicked, Will shall fall by calamity. It says the righteous man may fall seven times. In the Old Testament, seven was a number of completion. It was like whole. That's why the, the, the disciples thought they were saying a big thing when they came to Jesus and said, how many times should we forgive? <laughs> like seven? Because seven was kind of like the whole number. Like all the time, he's like 70 times seven. This isn't saying that righteous people get seven shots and on the eighth one, that's over. The implication by the choosing of seven is that every time the righteous falls, he gets back up again. All the time that the righteous falls, he gets back up again. It's important to note that they didn't say, the righteous is the one who never trips, never falls never stumbles, never feels insufficient. No, it says the righteous may fall seven times, but 
gets back up again. How many people here have ever run a half marathon? How many of you here have run a full marathon? All right, so most people haven't. Now, I want everyone here to imagine who runs marathons. Just picture in your mind who, who runs marathons. Skinny people. Yeah, someone said that. Say skinny people. You know what else? Old or young? Young people. Okay. So fit people. Okay, that's what we, we think of. And, and yes, some of them are young, fit, skinny people. But I want to tell you about the first half marathon I ever ran. So the thing is, there are fit people. We think to ourselves, it's going to be a bunch of people. It's, it's going to be like walking around and seeing the cover of Runner's Magazine. And everyone's going to look like that. They don't. For those of you who have been at road races, yeah, there's a few fit people that, that look like the magazine cover, but most of them don't. So the first half marathon I ran was in um, Manzanillo, Mexico. So I'm down there. It's in Mexico. Almost everybody there is Mexican. We're there. And I'm running the race with somebody else. So I'm running at their pace. And we're going to do the 13.1 miles. And we start. We get about a mile in. And this woman comes past us. It was only one woman. But there was enough of her for more than one. Okay, I don't know how to say this nicely, but she is dressed in, in running clothes, does not look like a runner. And she comes trembling past us. Past us. And so, we're like, you know, I'm like and, and I'm encouraging the person I'm running with, I'm like, listen, this is a 13-mile race, not a one-mile race. Don't worry. And off she disappears into the distance. And we're running with, with thousands of other runners, and, and we noticed her not only because of that, but she was also like one of the only Americans that ran past us. And so we're, we're there running. We get to mile two, mile three, mile four, mile five. We haven't seen her. Mile six, mile seven, mile eight, mile nine, mile 10, mile 11. We finally caught up with this lady and passed her. Mile 12, mile 13. It's 13.1, by the way, and that point one really matters. Right at that point one, like we're right coming up, we've got 13 miles and we've got point one to go. All of a sudden, boom, she just goes right past us. Beat us to the finish line. So we're in the, the line there and, and we start talking to people afterwards. They've got different beverages and fruit and things that you can get on. And so as one of the only other Americans there, um, we went up and introduced ourselves and start talking to this woman. Turns out she had, this was her fifth half marathon. She had already run two full marathons and lost over, if I recall correctly, it was over 125 pounds already. Now, you see, it was one tough lady. Here, here's the thing. In my mind, before running this marathon, marathoners were people who had everything going for them, people who look like they belong in a marathon. The truth, marathoners are people who don't quit. And people who don't quit come in every size, various shapes, 
different ages, I learned something that I didn't realize before. And that is, it's not about looking the part. It's about not quitting. Not quitting. So many people look at at marriage and they're like, I don't know, how did they do it? They didn't quit. I love the little saying that a perfect marriage is just two people who won't stop forgiving each other. It's not perfect. There is no two people who always get along. Life, God's way, is about not giving up. So, number one, first response, quitting. Second response is fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. King Saul is interesting. King Saul was a person who looked the part. The Bible says that when he was chosen, he stood head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. When they chose the king, God chose Saul through the prophet Samuel, and he looked the part. So much so that the next time Samuel went to anoint a king, he was expecting to find the tallest, biggest, most impressive looking man to make king. And he went through the brothers of of David, because God had told him it was gonna be one of Jesse's sons, and he's like, well, he's a big, strong, strapping fellow. must be him. Nope, 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 nope. And God said, I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. So Saul, who looks the part, was made king, but Samuel had to tell him one day, you disobeyed God, you have lost the throne. And that's where we're gonna look at right now. That's, this is Samuel giving Saul the news. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned away to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, this is Saul, He just discovered that he blew it so bad that his descendants aren't going to rule Israel as he had expected. He says, I have sinned, yet, honor me in this, please, before the elders of the people of Israel. What does he say? Um, I know I blew it, but would you just tell everything, everybody, everything's okay, just make it look okay? (laughs) He's like, I just, I don't, and maybe I blew it, but just, just make, make the appearance. All I care about is that the elders of Israel think everything's okay. I may have lost my dynasty, but the, big, the first thing he was concerned about, just make it look all right. You know, and I've got this mask here because a mask symbolizes so easily when we, we try to hide and not not show what's really going on. He says, do that. Now, why are we tempted to put up a mask? What is the point of a mask? A point of a mask is to try to be the part. To look as though you deserve the part. To look as though you've been accepted. 
But Jeremiah 1.5, God says, before I formed you, I knew you. Before I formed you, I knew you. See, it is fear of rejection that causes us to build masks. Are masks comfortable? No. This particular one I can't even see. I, I made a version where I cut the eyes out so I could see through it, but it was really creepy looking. <laughs> you, you think this is creepy. This, no, that, not, not even close. It, it's not, it doesn't work as well, but we do it, why? Because we don't want to reject it. But here's what 1 John 4.18 says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The anecdote to that impulse to throw up a fake image, an image that says, oh, I am, I am the, 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 the runner on the cover of the magazine, I am what you expect, that comes from a desire to be accepted. But God says, you won't have the fear of rejection when you know perfect love. You don't need the deception. Proverbs 20, verse 23 says, diverse weights, that is inaccurate weights, are an abomination to the Lord and dishonest scales are not good. Numbers 32, 23 says, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. See, when we create a web of deceit, when we are, are trying to maintain a, a mask, it'll only last for so long. The Bible says that when we are deceitful, our sin will find us out. But when we recognize that our accept that there is nothing to be afraid of. We are already fully loved. That's, that's when we get the power to put down the mask and say, okay, I'm going to take on life with God at my side. Next one is <clears throat> using others. I think of I think of my kids. I have six, I've got plenty to think of. And you know, if I accuse one of my kids of doing something, you know the first thing they'll do? He did it too. Right, first thing. But, but, but he did it, she did it. I, I wasn't first, it was his idea. Why? It's a natural part of human nature. We think, well, if I can push them down, that'll somehow get me higher. If I'm going down, someone else is going down with me. But hopefully, and it's not just a misery loves company. It's an actual, like, I'm, I'm hoping that, that it'll be deferred onto them and that I will still maintain standing. Galatians chapter six, verse seven says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. 
It's so interesting, the Bible says don't be deceived, and the reason it says that is because it knows that many of us will be deceived in the area that it's telling us not to be deceived in. So he says don't be deceived, and God is not mocked, because to, to assume that we can treat others one way and be treated differently, to not reap the benefits of that, or the consequences of that, is to, to mock God. It's to, to, to defy the principles he set into action. Luke 6.31 says, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Don't wanna use others, don't wanna fake it, don't wanna quit. The next example um, is King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4, 29 through 32. He says this, he says, at the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon and the king spoke saying, is not this the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling, but my power, by my power, and for the honor of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom hath departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen seven times shall pass over you or seasons until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom whoever he chooses. He thought I could do it myself. You know, when, when I think of, of uh, people's delusional ability to think they can do anything, I think of YouTube. One of my favorite things to search on YouTube is just the simple word fails. And there are compilations that will show people have try, who have tried every unimaginable, I mean, you would never ever think that a human being would attempt all of the things that you could watch for hours on end watching them try to attempt. They, you know, life looked too big and they're like, great, roll film. I'm gonna go for it. And it didn't work out. Or people believing that they, in and of themselves, can accomplish everything. See, it's interesting to me when we look at the, the Bible, we see over and over God used people precisely because it was obvious they couldn't do it on their own. Have you ever noticed that? Gideon, he says, I am from the least tribe, I'm from the least family in that tribe, I'm, I'm the least member. He's like, I'm from the Barney Fife tribe, I'm the Barney Fife family, and I am Barney Fife. He says, I am the lowly. And God says, I'm gonna use you. So then he goes out and he recruits 30 some thousand men. And it looks like he's gonna pull it off. And then God says, wait a minute, you might think that it's because of all these men that you're going to win. I want you to send most of them home. And then he goes and defeats the enemy with 300. And God says, it's so that you know that I did it. Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no 
sorrow to it. Psalms 121 verse one through two says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, the right answer when we're faced with big, overwhelming sense of insufficiency isn't to say, I've got it. It's to say, he's got it. And I'm with him. Psalms 57, two says, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. It's interesting in Isaiah, starts out this, he says, why do you say, O Jacob, O speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. Here's J Jacob, he's saying, no, this is, that God doesn't see what I'm doing. My, what I'm doing has been overlooked. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. So this, he starts out thinking that God doesn't see him. Even the use, says, and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the use shall faint and be weary, and even the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. He, he thought at first God didn't see his struggle. But then he says, no, it is God who gives you power. And even the most qualified, even the youth, even those who we would think they look the part, they're the ones who are sufficient. See, it's a trick of the devil. We look around and say, I'm the only one who feels this way. No, he's pulling that on everybody. Even the people who look like the magazine, they don't think they look like the magazine. In fact, many of them have more issues than the people who obviously don't look like the magazine. See, the devil is trying to make every one of us feel insufficient, no matter what. Matthew 19, 26 says, but Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Exodus chapter four, verse 10, I love this passage of scripture. Moses had been given a call by God to liberate the Jews, his people. He was saved, God miraculously saved his life. Pharaoh was trying to kill him. God miraculously saved him, managed to plant him right in Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh paid to educate Moses. Moses has a passion to help the Israelites. He's out one day, he sees uh, an Israelite being mistreated by an Egyptian soldier, his anger rises up. The purpose for which he was born was there. He goes over there prematurely and tries to liberate the Israelites one soldier at a time. He kills that Egyptian soldier, hides him, then discovers that it wasn't unnoticed. He becomes a criminal, he has to flee. He runs to the desert, lives there for 40 years. Now, I imagine that he had that passion, but he eventually thought, I guess it's not gonna be me. 
I'm not good enough. I, I don't know exactly what he thought, but I imagine that he went over it in his mind many, many times and began to rationalize why he had ruined the possibility that he would ever help free the Jews. Then one day he sees this burning bush. He goes over there. God himself begins to talk to him, tells him that he needs to go. You are going to go. So here's where we're at. God has told him, you're going to go. This is what Moses says. Then Moses said to the Lord, oh, 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 my Lord, I I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow, low, low to tongue. So the Lord said to him, this is my favorite line, who made man's mouth? So Moses says, oh, I can't do that because I can't speak very well. And God looks at him and says, who made your mouth? Or who makes the mute and the deaf and the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. See, when God has put something in our heart, he's not worried that we don't look up to the channel. He says, that's not the point. You don't have to be up to it. I made you. I know what you're capable of. I can make you capable of anything. Don't sweat it. I have made you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that, God, so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, Paul got it. He said, when I feel insufficient, I rejoice because I know that's all the more opportunity for God to use his, put his strength in me. When I find myself insufficient to a task, I know then God is gonna make that up. If this is what God has called me to do, then I don't have to worry. As we close, I'm gonna give just a few steps towards walking in uh, that type of, of trust with God. Number one, ask. Ask for it. Psalms 57.2 says, I will cry out to God most high, to whom, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. Ask. Jeremiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Number two, recognize God is your source. Don't get confused thinking like Nebuchadnezzar did that you got this. Know that he's got it. Proverbs 3, five through six, gives us step number three, which is trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The Bible says in James chapter one, says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God 
and he will give you wisdom generously. But if you ask with doubting, then you're like the waves of the sea. And I'm, I've got it written down in Spanish and I forgot to put it in my notes in English. That goes from one side to the other and let that man not think he will receive anything of God. So the only person who's insufficient is the one who doesn't recognize it's all God the whole time anyway. When we recognize it's all God the whole time anyway, he says when you put your faith in him and you, you don't wave, he's gonna give you that wisdom. It's not about who you are, what you've done, how you've earned. You don't earn the wisdom. He says you just ask. The only one who doesn't get what he asks for is the one who wonders, will God do that for me too? Am I qualified? Do I need that? He says no. Don't waver. Keep your focus on what is unseen. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Galatians 6.9 says, and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. No, no, no. Because it says, do not grow weary. In doing. Why does it say that? It says that because there'll be a temptation to do that. Be like, oh, I've been doing this for a while and I haven't seen the results yet. That doesn't mean that God isn't with you at all. He says, if you, in due season, says, in due season, you will reap if you do not lose heart. Say it with me. I am, I am more, than a conqueror. more than a conqueror. See, you could say this. Say, I'm a marathon runner. See, that's us. We, we are. Not because we look the part, but because God made us. Whatever he has called you to do, he is there, ready to equip you to accomplish it. It's not about whether you look the part or not. You don't have to look the part. Skip it. God has said, ask and you will receive. Do not grow weary. Do not lose heart. Just Keep trusting in him and you will succeed. We, <laughs> we can't lose because he's in charge. I, I like this thing. If I, it's, it's not over until we win. It just isn't. 
He says, you, in due season, you will reap a harvest if you do not lose heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every person here. I thank you for the dreams and passions that you have planted in each one. If anyone has been tempted to let go of those dreams, if anyone like Moses has decided that they won't accomplish what you've called them to do, I ask that your Holy Spirit stir in them right now that confidence that you are not finished with them yet, that it does not matter whether we look the part or not because you are ready, willing, and able to make up all of the difference. All of the difference. I rebuke the spirit of fear, of intimidation. You have no place here. We declare God's will done in everyone's life. Lord, we just thank you for the passions, the purposes that you have put in each person here. We thank that you, you have equipped them. And Lord, we thank you that you love them with perfect love that casts out all fear. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you know that your sin is forgiven, that if you died today, you'd spend eternity with God, I want you to raise your hand. If you're here and when you saw those hands go up, you're like, but how do they know? The Bible says, know that you have salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. See, we don't have to wait until eternity and find out, did we make it? That's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible says no. And if you want to know where you stand with God, you can walk out of this room confident. I want to give you that chance. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. So everybody, close your eyes one more time. Those of you who want to know for sure, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise that hand. I see one. I see two. I see three. All right. Here's what I want to do. We're going to obey that scripture. It says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. All right? I want you to, everybody, let's just stand up. We're going to all speak together. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus who lived a perfect life and then who died on the cross. But then he rose again. He paid the price for my sin. I accept that. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Amen. If you raised your hand, I want to ask you, we have a, a gift we'd like to give you, a free book that talks about how to walk that out. So if you don't mind coming down, who's, which side should they come down to? Come down right here. Meet me right down here. We will get you that book. Everyone else, you are dismissed. Have an excellent week.